So one of the greatest mysteries of all of time is time. Like, how does time work? I don't know. I don't know why somebody had to invent a clock. Um, Einstein told us that time is relative to your frame of reference. And we all go, huh? Right, like... If you're bound to Earth, time is relative to the gravitational pull of the Earth. So the further away you get from gravity, the weaker it gets and time moves different. And I don't know how Einstein figured that out, but I just know that like in Interstellar, when Cooper and Brand went through that little wormhole and went down to that planet and they were down there for a couple hours. They went back and the dude in the spaceship was 15 years older. That had to have happened, right? Like they did that in real life, I'm sure. (laughs) Poor guy. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I don't know how that works. But that means it is a scientific fact that by the time you're 70, Your head is like a nano, nano, nanosecond older than your feet because it's further away from gravity than your feet are. I read that this week. That excuses a lot, I think, for me. (laughs) Ah, that explains a few things. My head is older than my feet. Yeah. Um, So I was thinking this week, maybe that's one of the reasons why God is not subject to time. Because God is not subject to gravity. God, is not, God does not get pulled to the earth by gravity. God is spirit. God is weightless. And he is, he is omnitemporal. He, is, he, he inhabits all of time. He can, he can dip in and out of time wherever he sees fit. Like we're moving on this line of time that's going in one direction. And God just is like, I go here, I can go here, I can go here. I can look at every bit of time anytime I want to. Moses didn't know about Einstein. And Moses said, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. Moses. Moses was ahead of his time. Or as a watch in the night. And then Peter comes along all those years later and says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. So God's like, a thousand years, that's a day. A day, that's a thousand years. God just works on a different scale of times, time than we do. That's why in the very next verse, Peter would say, the Lord is not slow, as some count slowness and slowness. There were people mocking the church. Willie, where's your God? Where's, where's Jesus? He said, well, he's not slow. He just doesn't work in time the way you work in time. I say this for a couple of reasons. One, I, the more I think about it, the more I realize most of our anxieties and worries in life have to do with time, Right? Will I be on time or will I be late? Will I get there on time? What if I don't have enough time? We hate waiting in line. We despise traffic. 
waiting on hold. Mm. Waiting on hold. I feel like my wife has spent a good one-fourth of her life like on hold. Like, I, I feel like I know most of the songs all of the companies play. <laughs> I could probably just start humming hold music to you right now from various companies. <laughs> all the things with due dates, like my students have a paper due, not tomorrow Monday, but the next Monday. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow when I go to class? They're going to be freaking out. <laughs> Tell me about this paper, Mr. Wood. Yeah. <laughs> questions of youth, questions of old age. So many things to be anxious about when it comes to the ticking clock. So we're in this sermon series, so beautifully introduced. The four whys of Christmas. Why then, why there, why them, why him. And we start with why then? Why at that time? And there's a certain amount of nonsense in asking that question, right? As a matter of fact, let's just get real. There's a certain amount of nonsense to a lot of why questions. Anybody with kids knows this. Just, just have a two-year-old. Why? Why? But why, right? And you give them the answer, and then they say, why again? Then you give them the ad answer, and they say, why again? And eventually you just say, because that's it, so, right? And because you just, ah, right? And here I'm going to do four weeks of why questions. <laughs> Hopefully I'll never say, just because I said so, because that's a short morning. But um, why then, as if we can answer that question, this God who lives outside of time picked a time to send his son into the world. This these gravity-bound humans cannot possibly answer a question really about the works of this eternal God who says, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, we saw this last week, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. In the fullness of time. So God chose a time, he sent his Son, and God has revealed himself in Scripture there's a reason why God did what he did. So maybe it would be helpful to ask the question. And maybe we can just be amazed by it. And maybe it would just help us not be anxious about time. In the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. The fullness of time. The two words for time in the Bible. There's like the ticking clock, chronos, tick-tock, 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 just the passing of time. And then there's the kairos kind of era, moment of time. This is, this is ticking clock time. And when it's full, so if you're looking at your Bible, it might say like when the, when, when the appropriate time had come or when the set time had fully come. But I think, I think, Thinking about the, the full time of a ticking clock is a kind of cool picture because you're thinking about maybe a giant 50-gallon barrel and it's just getting full of tick-tocks, tick -tick, not social media, the clock times. It's just getting filled full of ticking time and finally it got 
full. And God decided how big the barrel needed to be. And he said, it's time. An amount of time had come to completion. Like, what is God up to in this amount of time? What is he doing? What did God need time to do? As if God needs time to do things. Like, couldn't he have just sent his son any old time and just worked out the details? <laughs> okay, Jesus, how about now? Sure. Okay, we'll figure it out, right? God wanted the world to have specific people in it doing specific things in specific places. <laughs> and he wanted the world to be in a certain kind of condition when those people were there so that when he, when he sent his son, it would be the right time, according to plan. So we're going to look real, real quick here. Maybe not so quick. Um, at three aspects of the fullness of time. And what we're going to do is we're going to start way, way out, and we're going to narrow it down. We're going to look at kind of this historical context that's like super fun, and that I could spend way more time than I need to, but it's like History Channel, National Geographic, fun stuff. But I won't spend too much time there. Just like, if it's 20 minutes from now, I'm still talking about this point, just somebody wave at me and tell me to keep going, because I just think this stuff is so fun. And then we'll get into the prophecy and the fullness of time that way, and then we'll get down right down to Galatians 4 and see how this might relate. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about Alexander the Great. All those hundred years, hundred years before Jesus, he's taken over the world. He's a young guy, and he's a, he's a manly man, and he's winning wars, every one of them. And he's, he's spreading Greek culture. Most importantly, he's spreading the Greek language. And it's an easy enough language, and it's a clear enough language that it seems like it would be custom-made. <laughs> then you get this Roman Empire comes along. They're taking over everything. But they thought, you know, we like some of this Greek stuff. This is a cool language. They're building these roads between 50,000 and 80,000 miles worth of roads. Like, they didn't have rebar. They didn't have paving machines. They had people that had conquered out digging three feet down on the sides, putting sand and gravel and rock, and then these huge rocks down. 80,000 miles worth of these roads that just went all over the Roman Empire. And it really was true that all roads led to Rome. And they're still around. As a matter of fact, you can go to places where they were going to build modern highways and they realized, you know what? The Romans did it best. Just follow that. And there are even places where they said, you know what? The Romans did it best. Just leave that there and we'll follow it. Even, they even put a crown on the road and ditches on the side so that when it rained, the water wouldn't stand on it. These people were smart. They put mile markers 
They put signs at intersections to tell you which town to go to. They would put, if, if, you, had to, if you were a Roman who, who, who had a government, who had to carry a, a really quick message somewhere, they, could, they would have a horse for you every 10 miles. You could get off your tired horse and get on the next horse. They had Roman hotels where you could stop and spend the night. You can look this up online. Someone made what Google Maps would have looked like in Roman times. Just motels everywhere. No internet, but you know. (laughs) And then you had this Roman peace because the soldiers could get anywhere they wanted. They patrolled the roads. Roads connected the army bases. They even kept peace on the Mediterranean Sea. So there was peace in all the world as they knew it. The world was set up for people to travel. Not only that, but when all those hundreds of years before, when Assyria had come in and wiped out half of Israel, and they had been taken away and scattered, and then Babylon had come in later and taken a bunch away and scattered them, and then those people started going out, and the Jews had spread all over they started these things called synagogues. And so you had these little gatherings of Jews all over the place. Sort of like churches, you might say, for Jewish people to get together on the Sabbath and read scripture together. And they were spreading belief in one God all over the place. It's almost like it was set up perfect with a common language and the ability for someone to travel, and the ability for someone to go into a new town and find a place to go and preach Jesus so that when the Apostle Paul came along, he could just go anywhere he wanted and spread the gospel with a language that seemed perfectly fit for it. It's almost as if God set it all up, isn't it? So then when you watch... Charlie Brown Christmas every year and Charlie Brown screams out what is the meaning of Christmas you know and Linus stands up and reads from the gospel of Luke what does he say in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken he reads from the King James right like right down to a king issuing a decree that a census should be taken so that this young couple with the pregnant lady should travel to this town and she'll have a baby there. Like, and she'll have it at the perfect time. It's almost as if God's setting a stage. And he's using Greeks and Romans to do it. It's almost like the Proverbs say, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he just guides it like a river wherever he wants to guide it. (laughs) But then you come down to the prophetic. See, I didn't spend nearly as much time as there as I could have. That's fun though, isn't it? Yeah, but you come down to prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, starting with Eve and Eden, like this one who's going to crush the serpent's head. And you got prophecy to Abraham and prophecy to Moses and prophecy to David. And then you got prophecy through Isaiah like Alan read earlier. Oh my goodness, that's just good stuff. This, this one who's going to come and his kingdom's going to have no end. 
Like even in the darkest days of exile in Babylon, prophecy, we're hoping for a Messiah, he's coming. From the beginning of this redemption history, people have waited and waited and waited and waited for this Savior to come. Like we could get, we could get super technical, like I know some of you would love for me to, and we could go to the book of Daniel, and we could take these 70 weeks Right, and we could measure it from Ezra's return in 457 BC and add 490 years, and we could get close to the birth of Jesus, and we could get nail it down right to the triumphal return, and we could do a little math, and we could get really, really close with the math to the birth of Jesus. I mean, to the point that I have often wondered, I wonder it every, every Christmas, like... Well, we've got some shepherds. Like, where is everybody? And we kind of all think like, well, I would have been there. I wouldn't have missed it. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) How did all those smart Bible people in Jesus' day miss it? I would have done better. I would have had my laptop computer and I would have figured it out. Yeah. Like, I just wondered how many people had held on to faith and were still expecting. Like, why weren't there 500 wise men or 1,000 wise men? I mean, we don't know how many there were, but I don't think there were 1,000. That would have created quite the stir, and your nativity scene wouldn't hold them. Yeah. But the fullness of time is exactly when God said it would be, no sooner, no later. And it's just all of these prophecies. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Even if you go to Mark chapter 1, you don't feel like you need to flip around, but there's just this amazing thing that happens. You know, Mark Mark doesn't mess around. He just gets right to the point. John the Baptist shows up. Jesus gets baptized. Jesus goes into the desert, gets tempted. And then it says... John's arrested. Jesus comes into the Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And this is, these are the first red letters in the gospel of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is in hand. Repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> like all of this history, all of this prophecy is down to this. The the, the, the time barrel is to the top and it's overflowing. Here he is. But you know what verses in your Old Testament really get to me when it comes to this? And I think this will get us to back to Galatians. And we find these over and over again in the Psalms. I'm going to read some of them to you. You know what the cry of of faith and hope, but yet the cry, it's, it's super, super honest and vulnerable in the Psalms. It's a cry of longing, almost a cry of despair at times. It's the cry, how long? That's a time question, isn't it? How long? Psalm 6.3, my soul is greatly troubled. But you, O oh Lord, how long? 
How long are we going to wait like this with troubled souls? Psalm 13, 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 80, verse 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Can you imagine that kind of cry? I mean, he's directing it to God, so that's a good prayer because it's aiming the right direction. But he's saying, Lord, we keep praying these prayers and it seems as if you're angry with what we're praying. And How long is it going to be this way? How long will it seem that you show partiality to the wicked because they seem to keep winning? When do we get to win, God? How long? How long, O Lord, Psalm 89, will you hide yourself forever? Psalm 90, 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. And then Psalm 74, 9 and 10, listen to this. We do not see our signs There is no longer any prophet. Nobody's telling us a word. Nobody's performing any signs. There's none among us who knows how long. These are a people who just feel abandoned. They don't know how much time is in front of them. Nobody seems to be speaking a word from the Lord. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name for? Ever. Can you kind of feel that? Can you feel the despair in that? Can you feel the sadness in that? Can you feel like someone who's just clinging on to hope by their fingernails? I mean, God honors that kind of prayer because this person isn't giving up because they're still talking to God. These are Job-like prayers, if you will. But they're all asking the same question. How long? How long are those guys going to win? How long is it going to seem like you're not going to answer? And God says, in the fullness of time, when the the barrel's full, but let me me get down back to Galatians 4. Let's talk about what it might have been that made the barrel in the fullness of time God sent his son born of a woman born under the law born under the law to redeem those who were under the law you remember all those pictures of the law that we have in Galatians 3 like the law is what helps us understand what transgression is Like, if you want to know what sin is, law, the law will define it for you. And then he says, the law, like, keeps us in prison. So all these people are coming into the church and they're saying, hey, listen, if you're going to have an identity, you've got to be good law keepers. If you're going to be righteous before God, you've got to be good law keepers. You've got to do all this stuff Moses said. If you're going to be right before God, you've got to be law keepers. And Paul is saying, no, if you go back into the law, you're just stepping back into a cage. And then he says, 
The law is like a guardian who's like walking along with a kid and saying, okay, no, 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 you can't go over there. No, 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 stay out of that, stay out of that. No, this way, this way, this way. So I kind of wonder, like you could ask the question, why not send Jesus like the week after Adam and Eve ate the fruit? Like, we could have saved a lot of trouble, Lord. We wouldn't have had to ask how long. He could have died for a few people. <laughs> right? But you just kind of, just kind of wonder, like, if God is just waiting for humanity to just get sick enough and tired enough of trying to, to be good enough, trying to patch themselves up enough, trying to go back and saying, okay, God, I'll try harder this time. I'll do better this time. I, I promise, God, I'll be different this time. And God's like, that's not going to work. You're just trying to be a better law keeper. I didn't send my son so that you could just be a better rule keeper. I sent my son to purchase you out of that and make you my child. I sent the law to be your tutor. And I just wonder if the fullness of time was for enough people to just get tired of the tutor. Enough people to just go, I can't beat the illness. I can't, I've got to have something. Surely we know now, right? <laughs> of all of these years been sufficient enough to show that we are unable. We can't plan our way into salvation. We can't work our way into righteousness. We can only reach out empty hands and say, God, will you redeem me? Will you save me? I've tried. It hasn't worked. The law just keeps telling me that, I'm, that what good is and how I'm not living up to it. So I'm just going to trust the one who came in the fullness of time to purchase me out from under the law, to purchase me from the law so that I can be adopted into the family because the law can't make me your child. The law can't give me an inheritance. The law can't put your Holy Spirit in me so that I can cry out, Abba, Father. That's what the next verse says. The law can't move me out of slavery into the house as one of your children. So has the law had time to, to teach us that? I wonder if that's what the fullness of time is. I wonder if you've even reached like a fullness of time personally.
Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we're sitting here trying to ask, why then? I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. So we're asking why. But really, this is, I hope, a message of hope. Because... When you come to Psalm 31:15 and you hear the psalmist say this beautiful little line, "My times are in your hand." Like the thing that makes us more anxious than anything, time. And you just say, "Well, God, all my time is in your hand." And if you if you can send Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire and make roads and languages and synagogues and just, if you can arrange all of history to set the world up for your son to be born as a baby, if you can prophesy down to the moment, surely you can handle my little short span of time That gives me all kinds of hope. So Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You got anxiety? Your time's in his hand. And his hands are mighty. So you humble himself and say, my time's in your hands. You know exactly when to send your son. Surely you can handle my time. And if you're still wondering how long, but when Christ had offered For all time, a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Ephesians 1.10, there's a plan that will be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. So, It's like there's a new barrel that's being filled. There's a new fullness of time that's happening. When all the universe is going to be brought under the headship of Jesus Christ and all of his enemies are going to be made his footstool. So it's like with the death, the coming and the life and the death and the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, it's like God said, okay, I'm filling up a new barrel now. And when it gets full, time as we know it is going to change. Are your times in his hand? Are you trusting him to make you his child? Are you trusting him to live as his child? Will you pray with me? Lord,
Um, we don't know how you do it. We don't know how you do it. I can't even go to the grocery store without a list if there's three things. And here you are managing history. I don't know how you do it. But you handle time and you handle places. And you sent your son just when your son needed to arrive. And here we are in Spring, Texas, a couple thousand years later. And we're singing, come let us adore him. We're still adoring Jesus. We're still singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. We're still praising him. Lord, I pray that all of us here right now would just know the peace of being able to say my times are in your hand. And I know that we all have our own set of how longs and how longs and how longs. Um, but you, you seem to be very, very trustworthy with that question. And you're not beating us up over it. You're not getting angry with us over it. You're being gracious with us and faithful with us. And Lord, I pray that all of us are appropriately weary of law-keeping and rejoicing in your redemption, rejoicing being your kid, Lord, if, if today would be the day for any to just lay aside their own trying and turn to trusting. There are any that would lay aside their own doing and trust in what you've already done. Today would be the day. Lord, you know what you're doing. <laughs> you know what you're doing. And we trust that you know what you're doing with us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Have a great Sunday and a great week. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.